Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we're going to talk about paella Nazis. <laughs> so Phil, you're a paella Nazi, right? You hate people messing around with, with traditional recipes. Well, what can you tell us about it? You know, I don't know why you're accusing me like that. I've, <laughs> I feel like I've never, I, I feel like I'm a pretty free spirit when it comes to paella. But we both, I think, know, you definitely more than I, but we know a lot of people in Spain that take it very, very seriously. Sometimes a little bit too seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think that there's a reason for it since I'm Venezuelan, but I have Spanish heritage and German heritage. So I, I kind of see sometimes like the things that are lost in translation. And when it comes to paella, there, there is definitely a, a case because like for Spaniards, paella is paella, a specific type of rice cooked in a specific pan with a specific set of ingredients. And whatever is outside of those that set of ingredients, it's just rice. So, of course, you can bring that to another country and say, oh, no, you can't call this paella. You have to call this rice, even if you're cooking it in a paella pan. So whatever is cooked in a paella pan in other countries, it's called a, a, a paella variation, which is not allowed in Spain. Yeah, yeah, they're very serious about it. But then, like, again, you know, it's kind of like, like you say, like everything else just falls under the title arroces, you know, because, I mean, in Spain, there's not that much of a culture eating white rice as much. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, rice is a is a huge part of the Spanish cultural identity. I mean, rice is so quintessentially Spanish. So, like, can you break it down for us? What exactly is the difference between what paella is or paella valenciana and what other like how it differentiates itself from other Spanish rices? I mean, other Spanish rices, there are many many specific rices. I, I like very much one that that is only with codfish and cauliflower. And there is nothing else to it. And I think that's a, a pretty cool combination. But you have uh, black rices, you have uh, a rosa banda and so on. So for paella, nowadays, I would say it has chicken, some flat beans, garrafon beans, sometimes artichokes and the saffron, of course. And around that, there are many variations. If, if you go historically, and that's something like most paella Nazis probably don't know, The oldest paella that has been found written used rat de l'emporda, which is a country rat. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a beaver-sized hamster. It looks like, or maybe also similar to a cuy. You know this cuy, this giant hamster that is also cooked in Peru? Kitty mm, pig, yeah. Yeah, this was replaced by rabbit at some point and then chicken. So in any case, it's a white meat piece of the animal protein. Then the vegetables are pretty much the same. And that's it. Then there is people, of course, when you start, you add some shredded tomato. And just before it starts burning, you add like the, the paprika. There are variations where you add the rice before you add the liquid. This would be like the Alicante variation, but the Valencian variation, you first add the stock and there is a, a specific way of measuring and adding the rice like in, in a straight line. And then usually at the end, when it's, it's, it's almost finished, you put the, the fire to the maximum to create like a, a crust, which is called a socarrat. And this, again, this is something that, that very purist people here Do. And I've known many people that they had their first contact with paella in Latin America, like myself, that 
don't like this. Don't like the, the Sokanrat. Don't like some things that are done in the original ways of paella. You have to understand that Latin America was a Spanish colony. So, like, there, there is a, a paella that evolved in its own direction in Latin American countries. When people talk about adding chorizo to the paella, it's again a, a, a mistranslation because there are many things that would be called longaniza or chistorra in Spain, like more like grilled sausages that are used in paella in, in many countries in, in South America. You will find this even in Spanish restaurants run by Spanish people in Latin America. So that's what, what I can say. Then another key point is like the thickness of the rice. The most gourmet rices and paellas you will see in Spain, they have only one layer of rice and that's something like very high-end. But like in the most traditional ways, you have like a, a good layer of one to two centimeters, but no more than that. You see also paellas made in abroad and they have like this... 10 centimeters layer of rice and then the, the I've seen even in, in newspaper pictures putting paella as an example with lime <laughs> which is not not Spanish at all uh, and I'm pretty sure the, the the flavor that it generates it's correct but uh, I do understand that people get upset about it same as I do get upset when I see Cuba Libre made with white rum or these kind of things that are not acceptable if you belong to to a culture. Yeah, I also grew up with these like really bastardized paellas where you just have like 10 centimeters of rice, like fluffed up almost like basmati rice, right? Where it's like fluorescent yellow and just taste of saffron. And it's loaded up with seafood, you know, but seafood often isn't even cooked into rice or anything. And it's just like, if you know what real paella is, you know, it's kind of like the first time you see it. It's because really it's something very minimalist, you know, and that's what I like about it. You know, it's like the quality of the rice is super important. And then, like you say, you know, I mean, the best payers that I've had, they had almost just like one grain of rice layer. The rice was completely flat. There was not one grain on top of each other. All the grains perfectly intact, cooked to a point where it's still, you know, what you would call al dente. And the socarat, you know, it's like it's so simple. And then the garnish would only be like maybe a little bit of vegetables, some like flat, like, you know, broad beans or whatever. And then a little bit of protein. But really the rice is the most important thing about it. Yeah, I agree. Actually, the, the most traditional versions, they don't even use uh, stocks. The most traditional ones are made with water. Uh, I guess at some point uh, it was just logical to add uh, a strong stock to a paella. Mm. And on that, I also have my opinion. I've tried with beef stock, fish stock, or, or other seafood stocks and, and chicken. And for me, the best result is with chicken, personally. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, um, I've also, you know, like I, uh, once you delve, it's such a deep culture and there's so many like different approaches to like how to cook rice, you know, and it's a really, really broad spectrum. You know, people think of Spanish rice and they always think of paella, but there's so many variations. There's so many different combinations and also like very unusual approaches in a sort of international kind of point of view, you know, like they, you know, I mean, just talking about the stock, of course, but also like the sofrito, you know, like I, I remember I, I was cooking in Mexico with some Spanish chefs and they were specializing in rice and they were making different sofritos. One that stood out was uh, one made from green peppers 
And then I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? Like green peppers aren't really used that much like around the world. But in Spain, they hold a very, very particular place in cooking. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and so they were caramelizing this down. Um, I mean, as a sofrito for people who don't know, you know, it can be many things, but it's basically like vegetables or tomato or garlic. And it's basically cooked down and caramelized for a really, really long time until you have a very flavor intense base taste i once saw a guy making a sofrito for two days cooking it like a minimum temperature until the tomato was like super dark brown it was amazing yeah was he was he also a paella nazi <laughs> probably yeah i mean this guy was catalan I mean, if you, yeah, see, see, if you're, if you're having, if you're putting a dedication to cook your sofrito down for two days, I think like something in your brain, something in your brain is wired in a different way than the rest <laughs> of the world. Um, you're a bit of a maniac, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, like if you compare it to, you know, like tomato concentrate that you get in the tube and it's like super reduced and like very, if you get a good quality one, it's like super umami rich. It makes a lot of sense. You know, you're caramelizing. And you're reducing the water without burning, so you're just concentrating the flavor. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the best one that I've had was by far um, with caldo de marisco, which with a mixed seafood stock. There was these same guys in Mexico that I was cooking with, and they they were saying that all the stocks that they add, they want to get to a point where you could easily just serve the stock as a really delicious soup. And I said, if it's not at that point, then you shouldn't use it to cook rice. I agree. Like it's like like with a risotto, like yeah. the the stock is a dish. You just add rice to it. Yeah. But then again, with risotto, you know, you have the advantage that even if your stock isn't like super powerful, at the end you add a shit ton of cheese, you know, which is gonna and butter <laughs> and butter, which is gonna umfa <laughs> your flavor like massively. But like with with Spanish rice, it's like you don't have that. Like and that, I think there, it's really apparent that if you if your broth is not strong enough and your sofrito is not balanced enough, then you can really tell afterwards. Yeah, I mean, but the, then I go back to the traditional ones, the ones you see like at homes are many times made with water because you already have you're using pieces of meat with bones. You have some vegetables and you have a strong sofrito. So there, there's your broth. You're going to cook it like for for enough time so to to take the flavor out. Uh, of all these elements. But of course, if you want to make a high-end paella, the stronger the, the stock, the, the better the result, for sure. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess we're, we're talking about restaurant quality, you know, not, uh, I mean, really, like, when, when I think about, like, I mean, I've never, I've only ever cooked these sort of, like, very elaborate rices, either in a restaurant or with other chefs, you know, where you, and with... And the passion and the like dedication towards these simple rice dishes from from Spanish chefs is insane. They take it super super seriously. Yeah, and especially the the cook point of the rice. I think that that's yeah. where you because that that's something very hard to learn and to teach. It's just a matter of experience. You have to cook at least uh, twenty paellas and have tried hundreds of them to know exactly what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, totally. But I mean, like the cooking of the rice itself is also really intricate. I thought like the first time I saw it, I thought it was super fascinating, especially when people cook it over open fire, which is the traditional way of doing it, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's high flame a lot of the time. And it's such a simple thing. I mean, really, you're just cooking rice in a thin layer. But to get the cooking point right, to get it even, you know, sort of like moving the rice from the outside to the center and likewise moving the broth around, you know, like uh, you see chefs like really 
obsessing over this paella pan and really caressing it, paying attention to where it bubbles more and where it bubbles less. I remember one guy, he was like really watching it and then sort of like taking spoonfuls of broth from one side of the pan and putting them on the other side of the pan. I mean, like it's really, there's a huge pride, you know, attached to this this um, dish. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I would say... Uh, <laughs> It's not that complicated. That that's why it's it's so famous. I mean, it's it's something really easy to make. Uh, of course, to perfectionate it, uh, it takes time. But at the end of the day, you're just putting some vegetables and some pieces of meat, and then cooking them in the same broth with the same rice. If you if you want to simplify everything, uh, so it's something that really for someone uh, to make at home. If you have everything ready, it would take less than half an hour. Yeah. Uh, if you have all, all the ingredients ready for restaurant, what, what I've seen is that they have like this super strong sofritos and you just add like the, the most uh, fast way to do it is to have a super strong sofrito, super good stock. And you just mix the three ingredients and cook it the, the 20 or so minutes that, that it takes to be ever, cooked everything. Uh, and you can get really good results as long as you pay attention to, to the cooking point of, of the rice. Yeah, absolutely. And if you know your rice and you know, like you figure out the amount of liquids that it need, it's going to need to get you that perfect thing, you don't even need to worry too much about adding stock, checking the rice, etc. Once you figure it out with the type of rice you're using, then that's pretty safe. What about saffron? Do you like saffron in general? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, like it's, uh, I like it where it belongs, you know. Um, I'm not like a huge... Like, it's one of those things, kind of like truffle, you know, it's like a little goes a long way. And um, especially like those sorts of paellas that I ate as a kid, they were just overloaded with fake and cheap saffron powder. Um, And that was like the main carrying flavor. And I think that's horrible. Um, No matter how much aioli you put on it, doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, saffron is a beautiful thing when it's high quality saffron and it's used, you know, sparsely, like it's, it, it gives the thing the character it needs for sure. What about you? Yeah, I, I really like saffron. I remember when I was in, in Mugaritz, that was like in 2005. They did like this presentation at an international congress about saffron. So they had like 15 different vacuum bags where they added saffron just to water, just to see the 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 intensity of the color it generated with the same amount. And this was really interesting because you usually think about saffron, at least in my case, I think about La Mancha. But then I learned that there are very interesting saffrons as well in Iran and Afghanistan and Tasmania, like countries that you wouldn't tell. And as you say, you just have to roast it a little bit at the beginning. And when you add the liquid, it will like absorb all the the, the aroma it generated. And also the other thing about saffron is that it's, uh, if I'm not wrong, the most expensive spice there is. Yeah, yeah. Along with vanilla. But, but at the same time, you just need a little bit. So proportionally, it's affordable. It's not, I mean, you, you, nobody, I've never seen a kilogram of saffron in my life. And you just use like milligrams, I guess. 
It's definitely affordable, like, especially if you're going to use it like a few times, you know, I mean, it seems like a lot if you're like at home, just trying to make one rice and then you're like, oh shit, I don't have any saffron. I got I guess I got to buy some. And then you buy like a small flask for 30 quid and you're like, well, fuck now suddenly my, my uh, costs a fortune. But if it's part of your pantry and use it, it's definitely worth it. And it's, it's really worth investing in like good quality one also. What do you think about pimiento choricero? For the paella? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, um, pimiento choricero, you mean like the paste? I've never used it for paella. I usually use like pimenton, like the powder one and the sweet one. Mm. Um, and as I said, I added just before the water, so it roasts a little bit, but it doesn't burn. But I've seen pimiento choricero like in sofritos and this kind of things. I guess you use one or the other. I'm not sure. I'm not such a paella expert either. Yeah, me neither. But like I've heard, I've heard some people like say that it has to be pimiento choricero, and other people, you know, like have a completely different opinion. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's a good point. It's sort of like I, I feel like it definitely has a place in the sofrito. Uh -huh. But then again, sort of like, you know, there's like, uh, I've seen also people do two different sofritos, one tomato sofrito and then one vegetable sofrito, right? So like the tomato sofrito, usually sort of like poached garlic and then tomato and pimenton cooked down. And then like a uh, vegetable sofrito, that's usually sort of like onion or, you know, I, I saw like the white part of leek a lot also. The same, just like cooked down for a really, really, really long time. And then those two separate then added together with the rice when you sweat the rice mm -hmm. um, are some of the some of the best results that I saw myself. Yeah, that sounds really good, and it also makes sense to to do them separately. Yeah, I, I especially think about the tomato because it's so liquid. You want to to, uh, to give it its own process until it's really caramelized. Yeah, for sure. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.